following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 29. Here the Bible says, There are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more of more value than many sparrows. I'd like to preach on the subject tonight. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in thy name. And Father, with those who have come to be with us, Lord, thank you for the visitors. And I pray that you'd be a help and a blessing to them. Father, be a help with us and to us uh, through thy word. Lord, help me to preach and teach thy word. And I pray, God, for those who are sick, not able to be with us tonight. I pray, God, that your, your blessing on them, that you'd help them. Lord, bless this time. Uh, help us to see uh, what you do value, that you even value us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, you're of more value than many sparrows. Now here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching his, his uh, disciples. If you look back to chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, When he had called on him his twelve disciples, he gave unto them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. A disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Labias, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Uh, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, So he's giving commandment and teaching to his uh, 12 apostles, but never, uh, this is uh, who he's addressing particularly, but never think for a moment that just because the Lord is talking to the apostles, that he's not saying something that we need to know as Christian people in the world. You know, God's given his word uh, to the world to help us to know God in Matthew 4 and verse 4. Look with me there, Matthew 4, and looking at verse 4. <clears throat> The Lord makes an important statement here. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And God has preserved his word for us as English-speaking people in our King James Bibles. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you look there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and beginning in verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, and 16, and folks, well, you know, if God, if Christ commanded that man shall live, uh, live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, it's important that we know where those words are to be found. And they're found in our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is, God breathed, God spoke through men to give us His word, and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The word of God from Genesis to Revelation is uh, inspired of God in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> and uh, looking at verse 19, the apostle Peter is inspired of God to write these words uh, that are uh, found in our Bibles. He says in verse 19, We have also a sure, more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do, ye do well that ye take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake <clears throat> as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God spake through uh, God has spoken through men, and sometimes people say, well, the Bible is just the writings of men. No, these are, these are the words of God spoken through men, written down by men as instruments of God, but what we do have is the infallible, inspired, pure word of God in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. <clears throat> so we can have confidence that God has given us his words, the words that he's commanded us to live by. 2 Samuel 23 and 1. 2 Samuel 23 and 1. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Now these be the, uh, 
last words of David. This is King David of Israel. David, the son of Jesse, said, The man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, and remember, God used David to give us the book of the Psalms, a a blessed book and a a book of comfort and instruction. He says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So David is an example of just one of many that God inspired his word through to us. And these words uh, that even though Lord Jesus Christ is talking specifically to his apostles, his disciples, he's also talking uh, to all men and to us tonight. Looking back to our text in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I want us to consider three things tonight. First of all, as we talk about uh, this subject, a year of more value than many sparrows. I want us to see that the primary teaching in this passage of Scripture is concerning Christian service and the persecution that often comes as a result. If you look with me to Matthew 10 and 16, Matthew 10 and 16, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ did not want his disciples to be surprised by the things that they would encounter in the Christian life any more than he wants you to be surprised by them. God has given us the Holy Word of God, so we'll know uh, what's coming, what to expect, and uh, who is there with us and for us. In Matthew 10 and 16, here Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. He said, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. He's speaking of their service as apostles, and our service sometimes as Christians, as we declare the truth of the gospel, we preach the light of God's word. You know what we often do is we encounter the darkness of this world that oftentimes will rebel against uh, the light of God's word. But he says here, but when they deliver you up, verse 19, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, uh, endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, uh, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not... Uh, have gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man and become. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Remember that Jesus Christ was accused regularly by the religious Jews and religious leadership of being someone who was doing what he did by the power of the devil which was just not true. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And what he did, he did to oppose the devil and the darkness of this world. In verse 26, "Fear, uh, uh, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The reality was, as Christ was preparing his his apostles, his disciples, and we as Christian servants for the fact that as we go out into the world and share the truth of the gospel, the light of God's word uh, to people, that that sometimes we're not going to find a favorable response. And uh, there are going to be those, and have been many, who have been persecuted unto the death uh, for the cause of Christ, for Christianity, for the message of the gospel, so that it would get to the generation we live in today. What we have, we don't have by accident. We have by transmission uh, through the Lord's church and those that serve within those churches. And many gave their precious blood in death to bring it to us. You know, we talk about those who've died for freedom's sake, to give us the freedom we enjoy as Americans. Many have died and will die to keep us free, to make us free 
and to keep us free. Well, many have died already. Some 60 million Christians were persecuted unto the death during the Dark Ages by those that rejected the gospel, rejected the truth of God's word. And what a sad commentary on man that they would do such things. And the devil was behind it because he did not want anyone to hear the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. And yet he could not stamp out the gospel. He could not stop the Lord's churches from preaching the gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spoke of it earlier. In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12, we won't look at all the scripture that the Bible speaks of concerning Christian service and persecution, but if you're going to live for God, you're going to serve the Lord, sometimes you're going to... uh, incur the wrath and displeasure of others in matthew 5 beginning in verse 10 jesus said blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets Uh, which were before you. And it's interesting, it's sad, but it's interesting to note that all of the apostles, all of them except uh, the apostle John and Judas, uh, were persecuted unto the death. They gave their lives uh, for the the gospel's sake, for the gospel's ministry, uh, to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. And, And, you know, history gives us examples of their persecution. Some were torn asunder, some were speared to death, some were cast from, from high places and what have you. Judas went and hanged himself after he betrayed Christ. And he wasn't truly a Christian. Jesus said he was a devil. He was the son of perdition, John 17 says. But uh, uh, the apostle John, though, he was persecuted. He was uh, mistreated. As a matter of fact, they tried to boil him to death. And they couldn't get away with it. It wasn't time for him to die. He survived it. And he didn't survive it, I don't think, being terribly marred. He survived in good shape, went on to live a long life on the Isle of Patmos. And on that island, God gave him the book of the Revelation. And God spoke to him and he penned those words, the words that we have and we find in our Bibles today. But there was great persecution and many died and many have died for the, uh, the, uh, the, the cause of righteousness and the gospel. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Many are dying today in countries like China and India and other places where the gospel is still going forward. Uh, there are people that when, when they get saved by the grace of God, uh, either lose their job, sometimes are cast out of their family, sometimes even put to death, persecuted for their faith. Christ in Matthew 10 was trying to prepare his apostles for the ministry and the the problems that come because of it. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and 19, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, you know what a blessing that you and I, if you're saved by the grace of God, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have uh, the faith that you have because someone was willing to live and die to bring it to us. In 1 Peter 2 and 24, the Bible says, excuse me, 1 Peter 2 and 19, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2 and 19, the Bible says, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. But what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. We've seen folks... uh, uh, Christian people persecuted in this nation because they'll, they refuse uh, to maybe make a birthday cake or a, a cake for a, a sodomite. Or they refuse to uh, be involved with the, the, the common philosophies of our day. And I'm going to tell you something, the persecution will get worse and worse the closer we get to the coming of the Lord because men are more and more all the time rejecting the truth of the light of the word of God and they're wanting to go their own way and then they're even attacking those that speak the truth. Bible says here in verse 21, for even here in two were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who did no sin, 
uh, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on that tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes uh, you were healed. For you were, su- uh, for you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. So the primary teaching is one concerning Christian service and the persecution that often comes as a result. And yet in the midst of all of this, folks, there is, there is someone of great value to be found here. If you look with me back to uh, Matthew 10, Matthew 10 and 29, Matthew 10 and 29, The secondary teaching is found in our text concerning the providence of God for his children. In Matthew 10 and 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. The secondary teaching in that we find here is uh, concerning the providence of God for his children. Now, he has been talking to them about what they could face, and he's talking about not fearing the things that they would be facing and dealing with. And then we get to verse 29, and he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, if God takes care of, for a sparrow that hits the ground that even dies, he takes, you know, God takes care of the wildlife. God takes care of everything. God takes care of his, his children. If God is concerned about the smallest of things, be sure he's concerned about you. And he has a care even for you. And God is aware of all that you're going through. And he is with you in all that you're dealing with. He says the very hairs uh, of your head are all numbered. Now, for some of us, that's easier to, to deal with than others because uh, our, our hair is a little easier to count, amen? But uh, for some of you who still have hair, praise God, uh, it's, it's going to be a little more difficult. Uh, but we're, what we're seeing here is the, the care that God has uh, and the providence, his providence to care for them. Look at me to Luke chapter 12, Luke 12, verses 6 and 7. Luke 12 and verses 6 and 7. Here the Bible says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Again, you, you see his care in the fact that he does not forget them, and he will not forget you and I. He says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value uh, than many sparrows. If you will, look with me to Psalm 104. Psalm 104 tonight, <clears throat> and beginning in verse 24. Psalm 104 and verse 24. Bible says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom uh, hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea where wherein are things creeping innumerable, boy, isn't that the truth, <laughs> both small and great beasts. There go the ships, there, there is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. You know, the Leviathan he's speaking of is, is uh, uh, one of the, um, if you will, one of the uh, dinosaurs. You know, people think the dinosaurs lived uh, uh, 60 million years ago. He's talking about Leviathan. He's talking about something akin to, if you will, a dinosaur that lives in the sea, as many of them did. He says here, these all wait, now he says this is important, these wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season, that thou givest them, they gather, thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. He's talking about the animal life, this world, and everything in it, and even us, amen. And uh, he says uh, in verse 29, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. 
Thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. You know, God is in control. God has providential care over all of his creation, even the animals. You say, well, uh, how do you know that? Well, God, you know, it's interesting that God takes care of animals. Where do they get their, their food? Well, they get it from nature. Who's in control of nature? God. God has provided for them and continues to provide for them and take care of them. And folks, if God does that for all of them, be sure he's going to do that for you and I. You know, sometimes people are worried. You know, we've been through this COVID stuff and people are worried. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're wringing their hands. I mean, you know, are we going to make it through? Are we going to live? Are we going to die? Are we going to be able to have a job? You know what, folks? Christians, as Christian people, we don't have to worry about whether God's going to take care of us. The Lord will take care of us. It's, he will do so because he's promised to do so. Psalm 116, Psalm 116, and verse 15. Psalm 116, and verse 15. But what about death? The Bible says in Psalm 116, and verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, the Catholic Church has taken upon themselves to be the ones to, to supposedly say uh, people are saints. God calls in the Bible saints or Christians. They're called sanctified ones. They're, those are saved by the grace of God, set apart from sin in Jesus Christ, and preserved and consecrated uh, for the Lord's service. To be a saint is to be a Christian. And... Um, in spite of what some may say. But God says the precious, the precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now let me remind you of something. You know, no Christian ever dies before God says it's time. You know, many went to their death during the dark ages, but they went to their death by those that persecuted, but they did not die before God said it was time for them to die. And when they did die, they glorified God, and God was with them even through the valley of the shadow of death, and they woke up in heaven after they died. You know, to, to, to die is gain, the Bible says. Paul wrote in Philippians. To die is gain. For the Christian, death is not to be feared. And you know what, folks? I've had many people say, well, Pastor, should I get, the, should I get the, uh, the, the shot or should I not get the shot? Well, I've already had COVID. I'm not getting the shot. But you know what? <clears throat> That's your choice. The problem is, is that people are afraid. And I'm not going to tell them don't get the shot and do get the shot. That's a choice you make for yourself. You know, you have to come to a place of, of whether you're going to be able to trust God either taking the shot or trust God not taking the shot. But no matter what happens, our life is in the hand of Almighty God. We will not die before it's time. We will not die before it's time. The providence of God takes care of us. Look with me to John 21. John 21 and verse 18. John 21 and verse 18. Now, the Lord has been speaking to Peter about feeding his sheep, his church. He's not a pope. There's no such thing as the word pope in the Bible. And Peter wasn't the first one. He was an apostle, and God was calling him to lead the church after he'd risen from the dead. Here, Christ, having risen from the dead, is speaking to Peter. He says in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither uh, thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by, by uh, what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Now, you know what? Peter, uh, the Lord is telling Peter, you're going to die at a particular time and in a particular way. He doesn't tell him what time. But he did tell him, you know what, you're going to be crucified. As a matter of fact, history teaches us that he was crucified upside down. But you know what, folks, he did not die until it was time for him to die, till he had finished the work that God had given him to do. And he faced great persecution 
for the faith. At one point, when you look in Acts chapter 12, he was taken, thrown in jail. And when they thought they had him secure, the Bible teaches the angel of God went in there, opened the doors, and he walked out unscathed. And the king wanted to kill him. But it wasn't time for Peter to die. In Job 2 and 1, Job 2 and 1, You know, we've been talking about the book of Job. Maybe eventually we'll get out of verse 1. But when chapter, Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. You know, the devil was, was um, after Job, wanted God to destroy Job. God took Job's family, his wealth, everything from him. He just had his wife left and his health. And the devils come before the Lord again. In verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And what does the Bible say in verse 6? And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. Now watch what it says in the last part of the verse. But save his life. See, life and death are in the power of God in the hand of God. And you know what? Uh, the devil wanted to destroy Job. He would have loved to have killed Job. I'm sure he was gleeful at, uh, at the thought of taking Job's family's life. And yet, the Lord did not let um, uh, the devil take Job's life because, folks, that's for God to decide. In John 10, if you look with me there, John 10 and 27. John 10 and 27. Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I am my Father one. As soon as a person is saved by the grace of God, they are in the hand of God. You know what, folks? The most protected place in eternity. No place is safer to be in this world and in the hand of God. When you turn in repentance from your sin to Christ with all your heart, trusting Him and Him alone to save you by His grace, you, you enter into the very hand of God. You're protected by God forever. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, I am my Father. When He's saying, I'm God in the flesh. And so we've talked about the providence of God and then thirdly, we want to talk about the, the third teaching is found in our text concerning your value to the Lord. Now, already we have seen something, to some degree, some measure of the value that God has for his people. Look back to Matthew 10. Let's talk more specifically about it. In Matthew 10, the third teaching is found in our text concerning your value to the Lord. In verses 29 to 31, are, you not, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Now he's talking to Christian people. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. You know, folks, God values man. God values his children. In Genesis chapter 1, look with me there. Genesis 1 and 26. Look with me there. <clears throat> Bible says, <clears throat> now God is creating the world. He's created the world and the animals and everything in it. Now he's going to create, if you will, the height, the, the greatest part of his creation we find here in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's the answer to the question. 
God, when it comes to gender, God made two. Male and female. There's no in-between, no mistakes. You can't say one day, some people say, well, I feel like, I feel like a woman, I'm in a, but I'm in a man's body. I don't care what you feel like. That's not what God made you to be. And what if a, a woman, I don't know why a woman would, would want to be a man, <laughs> but, uh, you know, some women want to be men. And they, they imagine that they're really a man in a woman's body. You know what? Your, ima- your imagination is running wild. Your imagination cannot be counted upon. God made a woman to be a woman, a man to be a man. And you know what, folks? We need to, you know what? We need to accept the will of God for our lives. And don't try to change it. Don't try to, you know, don't mess with perfection. The Bible says, and as for God, his way is perfect. And yet, sometimes we think we know better than God. But, and also, folks, remember this, that all of the creation was created in one sense for man. The fish of the sea, the, the cattle, every creeping. This world was created for man. And I think we ought to be good stewards of what God has given us. I don't think we ought to pollute it. I don't think we ought to be just, you know, dis, just run around shooting every animal, or whatever, just because we want to. I hunt. I'm not ashamed of being a hunter, except for when I miss the target. <laughs> I do that sometimes, more often than I would like to admit. <laughs> but I eat what I hunt. I don't just hunt for trophy's sake. I, I eat what I hunt. And my wife cooks it, so it tastes okay. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. God made the, this world for man. Not, uh, not just for God and for his glory, if you will. Look with me to Luke 12. But God cares for man, and uh, <clears throat> God values man in Luke chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 13, Luke 12 and 13. Now, some would imagine that because they're rich, God would value them more than everyone else. Well, the Bible says, let's read what the Bible says. And one of the company in verse 13 of Luke 12 said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where, where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, it's not wrong to be rich. But it's, a, it's wrong to imagine that we're more valuable to God because we are rich. And he calls him a fool. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Many rich people imagine they don't need a God that they cannot see because they have an, a God in their wealth. And they put all their trust and their hope in their wealth. And yet there were those uh, during the crash of the 29 in, in this country that threw themselves out of windows when they lost everything. Because that's what their life consisted of. Folks, there's more to life than what you have. You're not valuable to God because of what you possess. And James 2 and 1, James 2 and 1, I don't think I'm preaching to a rich crowd. But if you <laughs> have aspirations to riches, then it's not wrong to be rich, but it's wrong to make riches your God. And James 2 and 1, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and he have respect to, that, uh, to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom of God, heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? 
but you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do, not, do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. You know what, folks? God is not impressed by man. God is not impressed by Bill Gates and uh, Bezos that went to, he went to space. Well, at least he got close. Not completely out of orbit or what have you, but he got close. And came down, splashed down, got out of the capsule with his cowboy hat on. Whoop! Wow. Amazing. Glory. <laughs> so what? If I never, if I never get to space... I'm going beyond space when I go to heaven. Amen. I may see it passing through. Amen. And I won't have to do it in a rocket. Praise God I couldn't drive a rocket anyway. I have trouble with my car. Rich men. You know, just because someone is rich, does that make them more valuable? Look at Proverbs 31 and 30. Proverbs 31 and 30. I was really upset because I don't have a cowboy hat like he does. But. Proverbs 31 and 30. The Bible says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, you know, there are people that imagine because they're beautiful, the beautiful people, that they're more valuable to God. Really? Now, I don't know too many beautiful people. When I look in the mirror, I don't see one of the beautiful people. <laughs> I look at one of the more ordinary guys losing his hair, fight, losing the battle of the bulge. Amen? <laughs> losing it. So if you just exercise, I do. I work with that fork and that knife constantly. Amen? I've got those curls down. <clears throat> but are the beautiful people more valuable to God? You know, there are people that don't think much of themselves. There are people that are downright ugly. You wouldn't call somebody ugly? No, I wouldn't call them ugly. But I might think they're ugly because they're ugly. People are ugly. Sometimes they're ugly. But are they not valuable to God? Are the beautiful people more valuable? First Peter 2. <clears throat> First Peter 1, I'm sorry. First Peter 1 and verse 24. For all flesh is as grass. Now what's our flesh? Look up here for a moment. What's our flesh? Okay. Some of us have more than others. Some of us might have more beautiful flesh than others. But he says, for all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached to me. Folks, do you know what? <clears throat> I cut, cut my yard, I think, twice now. And there were some flowers on the clover in our yard, because that, you know, large yard out in the country. And you know what? You can't find any flowers on any clover, right? It's been so hot that everything is withering and dying. My grass is withering and dying. And am I happy? I'm so happy that my grass is really pretty. Yeah, because then I don't have to cut it. You're insane, preacher. No, I'm not. Amen. Now listen. Even the beautiful people get old. Even the beautiful people get old. They even get wrinkly. Unless you have tummy tucks and stretches and who knows what. <laughs> Some people spend a fortune trying to hang on to youth. And then they can't hardly even smile. Because they've had so many facelifts. You know what? When you die, that, that body 
that we primped and plucked and who knows what to will we'll be left behind. It'll go in a box, it'll go on the ground, and eventually it's going to rot. You're not this. You're living inside of this. And God values you no matter what you look like. Amen. God values you. He doesn't just value the beautiful people. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 14. Mark 14. Now, sometimes the beautiful people are just downright snots. Excuse me. That's Greek for nasty. They're snotty. Mark 14 and 1. <clears throat> and after two days with the feast of the Passover of unleavened bread, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, unless there be an uproar of the people. And being in, the house, in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves said, and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Now this woman, she's not named She's obviously probably not of any reputation, maybe not particularly talented, well-known, whatever. And let me say this, we're not of more value because of talent. Because of talent. See, God doesn't say, well, you know what? That Dan Walters, Pastor Walters, can play the shoehorn like nobody else. I know that's about the, the only instrument I can play. God doesn't love us because we're talented. God doesn't value us because we're God didn't value this woman because she had some kind of talent. But what does he say? In verse 6, And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whosoever, whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a memorial. He doesn't even name her. But every, almost every one of the gospels, the four gospels, has this account in there of what she did. The Bible says she did what she could. And it gives me the impression that maybe she couldn't do a lot. You know, many were the women that followed Christ that had been saved out of being uh, harlots and demonic possessed women, ungodly women saved by the grace of God. And they used their life and their, their, their substance to try to bless the Lord Jesus Christ and take care of him as he ministered to a lost and dying world. And some of them went unnamed. They weren't particularly talented but they did what they could with what they had. See, God doesn't value you because you're talented. If you're talented, it's a gift from God. But even if it's a gift from God, he doesn't value you more because of it. Acts 17. Now, Paul is preaching to these Athenians, these Greeks, about an unknown God. They have a, Mars Hill is filled with monuments to all the so-called gods. They were a polytheistic culture. They worshiped many gods. Paul sees a, a monument that's to the unknown God. He begins to preach Christ to them. Let's look at verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being as, also, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are the offspring, also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God has make, made unto, like unto gold or silver or stone or graven uh, by art and man's device. In the times of this, uh, 
ignorance of God. Well, let's back up a little bit. Look at verse 26. That's the verse I'm looking for. The Bible says, And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and it determined the times before appointed in their bounds of their habitation. Do you know something? You know what God has done for us? God has settled the question of race. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of talk about the critical race theory. You know, God doesn't favor one race, whether you're black, white, Asian, whatever, above another. As a matter of fact, God has given us all, now look with me for a moment, God has given all of us the same kind of red blood. And you know what? A black man, if I were dying, a black man could give me a transfusion and cause me to live. An Asian person could do that. I could do that for someone else. It doesn't matter our color, our race, our creed. God doesn't value one race or color above another. He values us all alike. John 3. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world, black, white, green, yellow, polka dotted. <laughs> we don't have those, but maybe we'll find somebody like that. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. <clears throat> He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Folks, God loves all men equally. God doesn't value one above another. God wants all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of truth. Romans 3 and 23. Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who falls into the category of all? All. Everybody. I don't care what your color, creed, or whatever. I don't care your wealth, whether you have wealth or none. I don't care whether you're beautiful or ugly, whatever. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6 and 23. Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. You know what the wages of sin is, folks? It's what we earn because of sin. You know what death is? Separation from God in a place called hell. See, to die, to be, when a Christian dies, to be absent of the body in death is to be present with the Lord. When someone who dies without Christ dies, they go to a devil's hell. Now, it's not what God wants. It's a choice they will have to make either to receive the gift of God as it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, Christ went to the cross of Calvary because he loved you. He died for you. You know what? He died to pay your debt of sin so that you could go to heaven. You know what? <clears throat> as, a, as a normal person, normal, <laughs> okay, I'm out on a limb here. Most normal people nowadays have some measure of debt. Now picture this, someone coming along and paying off all of your debt. Suddenly your house is paid, all your credit cards are paid, your car is paid, you're debt free. When Christ went to the cross of Calvary, he paid the debt. Now you know what? All he wants from us is for us to trust him. Turn from our sin to, to Christ and trust that what he did was sufficient to pay the debt and call upon him and receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's all God asks. He doesn't ask you to be baptized or be a Baptist or be a Catholic or whatever. He wants you to trust him. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. Look at verse 18. <clears> 1 
For as much as you re- know, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know what, folks? There's no one going to buy their way into heaven. Nobody. I know there have been some rich people that have gone to a particular church and they've asked a priest to do a, 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 a big mass to try to usher them into heaven, secure a place for them in heaven. They'll pay out a lot of money for that priest to offer a mass for their soul. It's a waste of money. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Folks, our faith and our hope has to be in what Christ did. He died on the cross of Calvary, was buried, and he rose again, if you will, to save us from our sin. He paid the price. 1 Peter 3 and 18. You know what? Our text says, you're of more value than many sparrows. Now, God values the small things. God values all of his creation. But there's something and someone he values more than all of that. And it's you personally. God loves you. God died in the person of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he rose again for you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what money you have or don't have. I don't care what abilities you have. Do you know what? You can be nothing and no one. And really we are. Nothing and no one without God. Know this. You're of more value than many sparrows. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com. Thank you.